Hey, it's Shannon Ballard. A reminder for you, if you enjoy Southern Mysteries, you can hear more when you become a Patreon member. Patrons hear bonus content called Southern Mysteries Shorts each month. Head to patreon.com slash southern mysteries to join today. The darkness that surrounds a person who willfully takes the life of another can fuel such anger in a community that it leads to more violence. That was the case in Birmingham, Alabama in December 1888. Birmingham was established in 1871 as an intersection of the North and South and Alabama and Chattanooga railroads. The city experienced such a dramatic boom that it was dubbed the Magic City. Mineral deposits of iron ore turned Birmingham into a leader of iron and steel manufacturing, an industrialized city with a growing number of jobs that drew people from all walks of life. With growth came increasing crime and Birmingham's 19th century reputation as a city full of violence and shady characters. In December 1888, leaders of Birmingham faced one of their greatest challenges, sensational murders that gained nationwide attention and led to a deadly riot in the Magic City. And it all began with a discovery of a little body floating in East Lake. Welcome to Southern Mysteries, exploring the history and mysteries of the American South. I'm your host, Shannon Ballard. This is the mystery of the Hall's family murders. East Lake is a community on the eastern side of Birmingham. Planned by real estate developers in 1886, East Lake and its adjoining park were developed as a community for miners moving to the Magic City to work in the steel industry. The major appeal of the community was the park that became a recreational center with its 45-acre man-made lake. On the morning of December 4th, 1888, two teenagers, John Keith and Ben Kobelson, were rowing on the eastern bank of East Lake when they noticed something floating on the water. As they moved toward it, they were horrified to find it was the body of a small child. The boys immediately rowed back to shore and told two men who headed out to secure the corpse. The men laid out the remains of the neatly dressed little girl in a pavilion, and someone sent word for the Birmingham coroner to come to Eastlake. While waiting for the coroner, a group of hundreds from the neighborhood assembled at the pavilion. A few ladies surrounded the child's body and shed tears as they wiped water away from the cold little face and brushed her hair back from her forehead. Witnesses said the child appeared to be around 9 to 12 years old. She had large blue eyes, light wavy brown hair, and was dressed in a neat brown skirt. She wore button shoes and black stockings. An investigation began the moment the coroner arrived. An examination showed no obvious signs of murder, 
but one thing suggested there could be foul play. The little girl was so neatly dressed, but wore none of the underclothing a child would wear, especially in December. This caused Jefferson County Coroner Alfred Babbitt to hesitate when asked if this was an accidental death. In the end, he determined the child had not accidentally drowned in that lake. She had been murdered. Once the autopsy was complete, Babbitt ordered the body sent to Birmingham Undertakers to be prepared for burial while police worked to identify the child. In an effort to quickly identify her, the body of this little girl was laid out for viewing at Lockwood and Miller's funeral parlor. On the first day of the public viewing, thousands of people streamed by the little coffin and viewed the child that had been found in East Lake. But no one knew her. The next day, hundreds more lined up to view the little girl, including a local butcher named W.O. Franklin. When he walked up to the coffin, he recognized her as May Halls, the eight-year-old daughter of Richard and Emma Halls. Richard Hawes was born in Russell County, Alabama in 1856, but spent his childhood in Columbus, Georgia. Once he completed his education, he took a job as a wood passer on the Selma, Rome, and Dalton Railroad. And he worked his way up, was promoted to engineer, working for Georgia Pacific, running engines from Birmingham to Columbus, Mississippi, and back. 24-year-old Hawes married 18-year-old Emma Pettis in Atlanta in 1880, but the honeymoon ended quickly. Emma took a lover and turned to alcohol. Richard followed suit, taking lovers, and investigators learned everyone who knew the couple described them as having a troubled marriage. The trouble and scandal around their marriage led Richard to move the family from Atlanta to Montgomery and eventually on to Birmingham. Once the family moved to the Magic City, May became the primary caretaker for her alcoholic mother and younger siblings, four-year-old Willie and six-year-old Irene. Mr. Franklin, the butcher who identified May, told police he knew Richard Halls was a locomotive engineer for the Georgia Pacific Railway and could be away for days and sometimes weeks at a time. And Franklin explained he had just seen little May Halls the Saturday before she was discovered in Eastlake. The child had stopped in at his shop to buy meat for the family and mentioned her father would soon be leaving for Meridian, Mississippi, and the rest of the family would follow a few days later. By Monday, when Mr. Franklin heard the home the family rented was no longer occupied by them, he assumed they had moved on to Mississippi. Franklin's identification of the child was confirmed by a number of people who lived and worked in the area around Lakeview Baseball Park, the neighborhood where the Halls rented a cottage. A Dr. Duncan told investigators he had cared for members of the family and knew May Halls was the caretaker for her mother. This was confirmed by Fanny Bryant, a woman who had cooked and cleaned for the family 
By the time little May's body was discovered and then identified, no one was sure of the whereabouts of Emma and Richard Hawes or even the status of their marriage. Some of their friends heard they divorced and Richard had left the city. But others claim Richard had talked to a lawyer and made inquiries about a divorce. Fanny Bryant told police that on the weekend before May's body was discovered, she witnessed May help her parents pack for a trip to Atlanta. She said they explained they were going to pick up their son, Willie, who was staying with Richard's family. As police worked to confirm whether or not Willie was still in Georgia and worked to locate Richard, Emma, and Irene, a shocking telegram was delivered to the social page of the Birmingham Weekly Age Herald. It announced the wedding of Richard Halls and May's story in Columbus, Mississippi on December 5th, 1888, the very day after his daughter had been identified as the child floating in Eastlake. The telegram mentioned the bride and groom would be passing through Birmingham on a train headed to Georgia, where they planned to honeymoon. When the Age Herald printed this shocking news, locals who were already angry that a child had been killed were enraged. When the train carrying Richard and Mays Halls stopped at the Birmingham train station, police boarded the train and arrested Richard for the murder of his child. The thing is, he didn't ask which child he was accused of killing or ask any questions about what happened to his child. He only shouted to reporters that he was an innocent man. Police were able to confirm that four-year-old Willie was safe in Atlanta with his uncle Jim Halls. With no word from Richard on the whereabouts of Emma or his daughter Irene, Birmingham police expanded their search for mother and daughter. Richard Hawes agreed to talk to a reporter with the Birmingham Weekly Age Herald. In his jailhouse interview, he insisted he divorced Emma before leaving Birmingham to marry May's story. He claimed the last time he saw his daughter May alive was just before he left the city three days earlier. He also said he made arrangements for the care of both of his daughters, after Willie was sent to Georgia. But police found no witnesses or records of any such divorce or arrangements of care for his daughters. Richard Hawes found very little support from the public, and rumors began to spread that a group of men were insisting they would get their revenge for the murder of that sweet little girl found in Eastlake. Richard Hawes did find support from the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers. They believed his story, that he was an innocent man. So they hired a detective who was paid to focus on finding proof of Richard's innocence. And the union launched a PR campaign on Hall's behalf, suggesting the family cook, Fanny Bryant, had harmed, perhaps murdered, Richard's family for money Emma was known to have saved. The campaign was effective enough to cast suspicion on Fanny Bryant and her partner, Albert Patterson. 
both were arrested. Now, police had no evidence of their involvement in a crime, but they believed the couple were withholding evidence and knew more about what happened to May, Emma, and Irene than they were saying. As police continued to search for Emma and Irene, Richard Halls wrote desperate letters to his new wife, Mays, vowing his innocence, begging her to forgive him for saying he was a widower and for withholding that he was the father of three children. But his letter to Mays did not line up with her statement to police on Friday, December 7th. During questioning, Mays told authorities Richard Halls told her he was divorced and had one male child, Willie. He never mentioned daughters. Soon after that interview, police discovered a torn hair ribbon and a bloody axe near Lakeview Park. The lake was partially drained on Saturday, December 8th. It's where authorities found the beaten body of Emma Halls weighted down with iron. There was no doubt she had been murdered. News of the discovery spread through Birmingham like wildfire, and the timing could not have been worse. It was late Saturday. Every street corner and bar was full of people further angered by this man they believed had murdered his daughter and his wife. Emotions ran high. By 10 p.m., a mob of 2,000 people crowded around the Jefferson County Jail, vowing to overtake the jail and hang Richard Halls. This act of aggression forced Jefferson County Sheriff Joseph Smith to issue rifles and shotguns to 40 deputies who were positioned on the roof to defend the jail and all in it. As the crowd began to move into the alley leading up to the door of the jail, Sheriff Smith twice ordered the mob to turn back or face the consequences. As the mob continued to try to overtake the jail, someone fired one shot and the sheriff ordered deputies to return fire into the crowd. Goldsmith West described the Birmingham riot in his book, Hall's Horror, writing, The simultaneous explosion of 40 Winchesters and shotguns followed, and a scene of wild panic ensued. Dead and dying men were seen lying in the street and on sidewalks. As the firing ceased after a duration of from half to three quarters of a minute, a yell of horror ascended from the multitude as the extent of the slaughter began to be realized. More than a dozen were shot and wounded. In the end, 11 people died in front of the Jefferson County Jail that night. Birmingham city leaders were outraged by the violence and embarrassment of it all when the riot made national headlines. And the governor ordered the Alabama militia to guard the jail and patrol the city. In the days following the riot, there was a renewed focus on finding Irene Halls. Lakeview had been dragged several times, but authorities felt the discovery of Emma Hall's body meant this could also be the location of Irene's remains, if the child was dead, as they feared. They decided to drain the lake, 
It took three days, but they found Irene's body in an area about 30 feet from where her mother's remains had been discovered. She, too, had been beaten and weighted down. In an effort to avoid another riot, Irene's body was quickly examined by the coroner at the Lakeview Park Pavilion. After the examination, she was immediately buried in the city cemetery before news broke that Irene Halls had been murdered. In late December 1888, Richard Halls was indicted for the murder of his wife, Emma, and their daughters, Irene and May. Over the next four months, there would be several postponements of Richard Hall's trial. On April 1st, 1889, Birmingham residents, who were still so shaken by the Hall's family murders and the riot that followed, were shocked to read sensational news in the Birmingham Weekly Age Herald. Richard Hall's had escaped from jail. The paper described his escape, writing, At about 3 o'clock Monday morning, three men came to the jail, two of whom pretended to be officers, bringing in a prisoner. One of the three was securely bound, and when the jailer unlocked the door to admit this pretended prisoner, he was knocked insensible and fearfully beaten. In the meantime, the keys to Hall's cell was secured, the cell unlocked, and Hall's liberated. Richard Halls then walked out and disappeared. The paper's next edition revealed the news was an April Fool's joke, but no one in Birmingham was laughing. They were just relieved Richard Halls was still behind bars. The trial of Richard Halls began on Monday, April 22, 1889, at the Jefferson County Courthouse. The state indicted Halls for the murder of three family members, but they felt their strongest case for conviction was to focus on facts surrounding the murder of his daughter, May. They had no witnesses to the crime, but they did feel they had a case built on strong circumstantial evidence. Fanny Bryant, who worked for the Halls family in Birmingham, testified at trial that May stayed with her at a boarding house on the night of December 3rd. An eyewitness testified to seeing Richard and his daughter May getting onto a rail on December 3rd around 7 or 8 p.m. and getting off at the East Lake stop together. This same witness later saw this man who looked very much like Richard Hawes getting back on the rail for the return trip alone about an hour later. Richard Hawes left Birmingham the next morning on a train headed for Mississippi. The prosecution maintained the motive for the murder of May Hawes was to cover up the murder of her mother, Emma, and her sister, Irene. Their theory was that Richard Hawes had fallen in love with May's story and wanted to be free of his wife and children. But he couldn't let go of his son because his son was his legacy. A prison guard testified that in the month before trial, he overheard Richard Halls talking to his brother Jim, explaining he paid a man named John Wiley to kill 
Emma and Irene. Willie had been sent away to Jim's house, and he hoped he might reunite with May after his marriage to May's story. The guard claimed he heard Richard explain that it became clear May might have seen something or heard something related to the murder of her mother and sister, which led to her murder. Halls allegedly confessed to his brother that he spiked a drink with alcohol so May would be intoxicated when he drowned her in Eastlake. Richard Hall's defense denied the prison guard's story and cast doubt on everyone who testified against his client, saying the testimony against him was based on lies and memory lapses. Richard Hawes testified he and May had gone to Eastlake on the night of Saturday, December 1st, not the 3rd. He claimed he took her to Eastlake for a shopping adventure because he was leaving the city soon. He returned home with May around 8.30 on December 1st and left Birmingham on a late train the same night, headed to Atlanta to see his son Willie. He returned on Sunday, December 2nd, to find the door to his house open and his wife and daughters gone. He assumed Emma had taken the girls to visit friends. He left town that Tuesday, headed to Mississippi to take care of some business arrangements, as he put it. And yes, he married May's story, but only because in his mind, his marriage to Emma was over. Richard Hall's trial lasted just shy of two weeks. Once the jury began deliberation, it took less than an hour for them to return a verdict of guilty of first-degree murder, and Richard Hall's learned his sentence would be death by hanging. Richard Hall's execution was set for February 28, 1890. The gallows was built by J.A. Griffith, who had served on Hall's jury. The hanging turned into a spectacular event in Birmingham, with tickets sold and traded on the streets of the Magic City for up to $200. When Richard Halls was escorted to the gallows, the crowd saw a man holding his head high, decked out in a new black suit with silk patent slippers that had been donated by a merchant who wanted to advertise his menswear. Sheriff Smith, who had been fired after the Birmingham riots, was back on the job, and he was the man who pulled the lever that day. Once the sentence was carried out, Richard Hall's brother Jim made arrangements for his brother's body to be loaded on a train and transferred to Atlanta. There were no words spoken over Richard Hall's when he was unceremoniously buried in an unmarked grave in the family's plot at Oakland Cemetery. But Richard Hall's did have some parting words for his brother Jim. He wrote Jim a letter just hours before his execution, saying whiskey and wanton women were his downfall. He begged his brother to care for his son Willie, and protect him from becoming an alcoholic like his mother. Fanny Bryant and Albert Patterson 
were also tried and convicted for their role in helping Richard Halls cover the story of his whereabouts at the time of the murders. They were sentenced to death, but Fanny Bryant died in prison, and Albert Patterson was granted a reduced sentence in return for testimony for the state. John Wiley, the man rumored to be Richard Hall's accomplice in the murders, was arrested, but there was no evidence connecting him to the murder of Emma or Irene, and the case was dismissed. As to May's story, Richard Hall's second wife, she divorced Richard right after he was arrested and indicted for murder. She later petitioned the state of Mississippi for permission to reclaim her maiden name in an effort to permanently separate herself from what had been dubbed the Hall's Horror. Emma and her daughters Irene and May Halls were buried next to each other in Birmingham's Oak Hill Cemetery. They were buried in unmarked graves in the hope they could rest in peace. The Lakeview Pond, where Emma and Irene's bodies were discovered, is long gone. But the lake, where little May was found floating on that cold morning in December 1888, these days, it's the centerpiece of East Lake Park. To this day, there are reported sightings of a little girl playing near the water around dusk. After the first sighting, in 1889, folks around Eastlake were convinced this was the spirit of May Halls, and she's forever known as the Little East Lake Mermaid. Southern Mysteries is created and hosted by me, Shannon Ballard. You can view photos and sources for this episode at southernmysteries.com. Big thanks, as always, to my patrons who helped me create this little independent podcast. If you're new here, just know I have a full-time job. And this podcast, it is something I'm very passionate about, but it's quickly becoming like a second full-time job. I cover all the research, writing, production, editing, and marketing of the show And patrons help me cover the cost of all that work so I can keep sharing these stories with you. So I'm very thankful for each and every one of my patrons, including our newest, Rob from Smyrna, Tennessee, Megan from Jackson, Tennessee, Laura from Powell, Ohio, Tiffany from Purcell, Oklahoma, and Christian, with a K, from Chesterton, Indiana. You can follow their lead and join Southern Mysteries on Patreon because members get to hear bonus monthly episodes called Southern Mystery Shorts. So head to patreon.com slash southernmysteries to learn more and join today. And remember, you can also support the show by sharing this episode on your socials, by rating and reviewing where you're listening, and following Southern Mysteries so you never miss a new episode. Thanks for that, and thanks so much for listening. 